0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm I'm
1: Micah.
2: And I'm Laura.
0: And in this week's episode, your Harry Potter friends will be discussing Chapter 9 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Grim Defeats. But first, a little bit of news. Micah, you got up to some fun this week. I did.
1: I was uh, able to go to the grand opening of Harry Potter the Exhibition here in New York City which is in Herald Square this time around. It was at Discovery Times Square going back to, uh, what was it, maybe 2008, 2009, maybe a little later than that. I don't really remember. Uh, But it's a totally different experience this time around. Uh, I got a chance to preview the experience. So what we decided to do is, because we're going to be taking a little bit of time off next weekend, we're going to do a Muggle mini cast, which is all about the exhibition. I was able to sit down with... Tom Zoller, who is the president and CEO of Imagine Exhibitions, responsible not just for the exhibition in New York, but for all of the exhibitions uh, that are currently happening Um, and some really interesting insight into how the exhibition came together and what their plans are for the future. So it's not just going to be an exhibition here in North America and in Europe. The one in Europe is currently in Paris. They're going to have four. So they're expanding to Asia and South America. So. Almost the entire world will get uh, the Harry Potter exhibition experience. And I will say the one difference about this one is it is much more immersive and interactive. And you can take photos, which is huge, because if you um, remember the older exhibitions, you did not have that opportunity. At least you did not in New York.
0: That is outrageous that they used to not let people take photos. So I'm glad they have evolved on. And I that. joked with
1: Tom about that too. We, oh, really? we had a little bit of a laugh about that. Yeah.
3: Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, the difference between that and now there's specific selfie stations that you go to, to take photos right. and photo ops is set up along the way. <laughs> they
0: encourage you the diametric opposite of, mm. of, of each other. In the age of social media, you just have to allow that, right? You gotta be real. Oh,
1: you can't not. Yeah. It, it's going to end up on there anyway. I, I think back when the exhibition was first in existence, social media maybe you just wasn't as big of a thing. Is yeah, that possible? It wasn't.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Two thousand eight. You said definitely. It was. It was a different time. It was. It was twenty ten. But
3: yeah, still.
1: Um, oh. Say <laughs> same thing. Yeah, close.
3: <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I think it also just the level of control that Warner Brothers exercised over their property, literally like their costume property, <laughs> of like you can't duplicate this or, or recreate this. If you can't take photos, mm-hmm. it was just very, very, very different age.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I enjoyed about what Tom had to say, and I think this whole group will appreciate it, is they really thought through how to make something for every kind of level of Harry Potter fans. So the new Harry Potter fan, but also the diehard Harry Potter fan, so that there's something there for everybody to appreciate. Cool.
0: cool. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody can look forward to that interview. It will be released next week. While we take off a week for Memorial Day weekend here in America, a couple of reminders really quick before we get started with chapter by chapter. If you enjoy this show and think other Muggles would too, tell a friend about the show. We really appreciate when you help spread the word about MuggleCast. And we would also appreciate if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. And here's a review now. This is from Carrie Nettie. After being a Harry Potter fan for years, I've literally just started listening to this podcast. I wasn't much into podcasts before, but my friend sent this over to me to check out, and now I can't get enough. I'm going back through the old archives, and I am loving my life. My ears, my heart, and my soul are so happy listening to all this for the first time. Akio Mugglecast! What a sweet review.
4: That's lovely. Thank
0: you, Carrie Nettie. Glad you're enjoying it, and thank you to that friend who told you about the pod. And now let's jump into chapter by chapter. Chapter 9, The Grim Defeats in Prisoner of Azkaban, and we'll kick things off with our seven-word summary. Here we go.
2: Suspicions.
0: Rock. The.
2: Hogwarts. Student. Body. Tonight done perfect. y'all perfect oh my god we did so good
1: i like that in the discord karina says that it sounds like a pop song
2: it really seven does. word summary it's like a spice Girls song honestly
3: it's late 90s <laughs> boy band it's Backstreet's back all right hogwarts student party tonight <laughs> <laughs> that's what it
1: is can you add yeah. that to your playlist
3: uh yes <laughs> Please do. I, will be the, the 70th song on the hufflepuff through the ages playlist by the way check that out now on spotify
2: Excellent. Well, jumping right in here, the events of Chapter 9, Grim Defeat, pick up right where Chapter 8 left off. The entire student body is brought to the Great Hall and instructed to spend the night there. That's pretty exciting. Did any of us ever do like a lock-in at school or as part of like uh, Scouts? I know with Girl Scouts, we did lock-ins at like arcades and stuff. And it was always kind of fun and exciting to spend the night somewhere and know that you were really going to be up all night with all your friends.
0: In Boy Scouts, we slept overnight in an aquarium. I think it was the Boy Scouts. That was a lot of fun. You sleep right by a massive tank that's like two, three stories high. Yeah, And you just get the soft glow of the tank overnight and the peaceful sounds of the water. That was, that was cool.
3: I can't remember what it was for, but I've definitely been in like my school, like even like my high school for different purposes, like overnight and things. I don't know about sleeping bags or sleeping, but like the, the cafeteria or the gym got so dark when they turned Mm -hmm. off all the lights. It was like eerie to be in your school at like a different time of day or setting or things. But like, I imagine in the great hall with the night sky above, it would be really, really nice.
4: Yeah,
0: and I like how Dumbledore says here, "Sleep well" to all the students. Like, yeah. what, dude?
2: Yeah. He knows that's not going to happen. Well, it's almost like
0: you had to have been sarcastic, right? Because yeah. Sirius could still be in the school. <laughs>
2: well
3: wishes. What's wrong with well wishes? Sleep Are we well. Coming out against Dumbledore this early in the
1: episode. Gosh, Laura, it. I didn't necessarily think of a fun outing, although I'm recalling one. I think from when we did like a sleepover for a youth group at our temple. Uh, But what came to mind for me is when, and I definitely want others to weigh in here. um, I was in college and somebody pulled the fire alarm at 3 a.m. And then everybody has to go out of the dorm into the outside. And like, you're hanging out there for a little bit. I'm not sure why it triggered this for me, but.
2: (laughs) Someone at my college did that too.
1: And you get to see what people are really up to it. 3 a.m. in the morning like what they're wearing like (laughs) (laughs) what they're not wearing Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah my college uh definitely experienced that phenomenon as well um but speaking of this whole scenario right seems like it could be very exciting for the students especially the ones who you know aren't the target of an escaped mass murderer um but in this moment all of the professors leave to conduct a search of the school, and they leave the prefects in charge. Shouldn't one professor have stayed behind? I mean, let's remember, they all believe that there is a mass killer after Harry, who has now broken into Hogwarts, presumably to get Harry, and their solution is to leave the students' safety entirely in the hands of their peer leaders. I think I know what this sounds like.
0: starting to sound like a security (laughs) nightmare. Security nightmare. It's
1: not only leaving the students alone, it's leaving Harry alone, who's the target, presumably, of Sirius. So you would think that there would be a better plan in place here, and there just isn't. And even the prefects, if something should happen, the solution is, well, send the ghosts to find me. That's what Dumbledore says. Mm. Really? The ghosts? Uh, you know I get it. they can move a little bit quicker because they can go through walls, but it what is the head boy or head girl supposed to do in that moment to protect the other students and Harry from Sirius black should Sirius show up?
3: Well, does it make sense to have the students outside their common rooms because the common rooms are the one place that Sirius cannot get access to the great hall on the other hand, you just walk right in the door, but despite the wish to have all the students in a central location um aren't the common rooms secure enough where you could actually search the whole castle minus the common rooms and not have to worry about this threat i love that
1: i really do and or <laughs> why not just take gryffindor and slytherin and split them up into ravenclaw and hufflepuff because we know if you aren't a hufflepuff you're going to get sprayed with vinegar trying to get in mm. and i I love Sirius, but I don't think he's smart enough to get into Ravenclaw Tower, so...
2: Oh, shots (laughs) fired. Okay,
1: I'm going to change your mind. Over the the next two books, I'm going to change your mind. Oh, please. I'm looking forward to that. But what I'm saying is, yeah, I agree with you. Then all of the students are safe within the Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff common rooms versus leaving them unprotected in the Great Hall.
2: As long as Ron doesn't bring scabbers with him, they're Uh, safe. (laughs) Well... The hall is immediately a buzz, as I think any of us can imagine, based on the stories that we told a little bit earlier. But Percy, of course, has to step in and be a buzzkill. He declares lights out, but this doesn't stop the trio and other students from continuing to speculate. And Ron and Hermione, I, th- I thought this was an interesting moment. Remark about Sirius's choice to break in on Halloween. Being that that's an evening when no one would be in Gryffindor Tower and Ron opines that I reckon he's lost track of time being on the run. So I wanted to ask Did Sirius intentionally choose Halloween to break into Gryffindor Tower knowing that no one would be around to stop or see him so that he could more easily get his hands on Peter? Yes. Is this one of those Mr. X that this book does really, really well? It sounds like a logical assumption. Oh yeah. He's a, he's an escaped. He's a fugitive on the run. He's lost track of time, but no, he's actually uh, got very good track of time.
3: Yeah. I think it was a deliberate um, thing because Ron does not take scabbers to meals so far as we know. And so it would really just be Sirius and Peter in the Gryffindor common room. And I can imagine the scene of the confrontation and What kind of a scene would greet the Gryffindors when they come back from the meal? I don't know. But um, yeah, that seems like a really clever way of hiding that Sirius, in fact, did know what day it was and was actually trying to be very, very methodical about it. I think he could get in the Ravenclaw common room.
1: All right. We can explore that down the road, but (laughs) it, it is interesting, though, that. Time is referenced here, too, because I think Mm. maybe if Hermione wasn't so tired, she might be able to pick up more on some of what has been going on, because we know she's really good at solving what happens in Chamber of Secrets. You'd think that she'd be a little bit more attuned to what is going on with Sirius.
0: Not to mention, she could have gone back in time to like watch him come in or something, watch the attack on the fat lady. That would have been fun. That would have been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the fan fiction on that?
2: uh, I can see her being such a stickler for the rules around using the Time Turner. I think Professor McGonagall pretty effectively put the fear of God in Hermione about abusing the Time Turner. And it's really not until the end of the book when it's truly life and death and innocence and justice on the line that she's like, okay. And Dumbledore also tells her to do it at that point, too. Um, Something else I wanted to point out here from the Discord, uh, legalized Gillyweed is calling out Halloween as a significant day as well. Of course, because that is the night that the Potters were murdered by Voldemort.
4: Oh
3: my god, So it's that's the a anniversary. great
2: connection that Sirius is like, I'm gonna mess you up on Halloween, Peter. (laughs) Well, the students are wildly speculating about how Sirius could have gotten into Hogwarts. And we pretty quickly established that he couldn't evaporated or flown into Hogwarts. Hermione's, you know, still the only person to have read Hogwarts a history, it seems. So he has to have entered in his Animagus form. But with Dementors guarding all the entrances, I'm curious how Sirius was able to swing this, even in animagus form.
0: Well, when he is a dog, it's probably easier to sneak in at a lower level through places people might not be expecting him. But I also just want to give a shout out to Hufflepuffs, hashtag justice for Hufflepuffs, because it's the fifth year in the scene who has the only correct prediction amongst the gossip in terms of how Sirius got in, which was that Sirius may have disguised himself. So good job, Hufflepuff.
2: I'm really curious about the idea of Sirius's Animagus form being sort of a a disguise even amongst the Dementors, because there's a point later in this chapter we're going to talk about where I'm wondering if it's actually that effective. I think it has to have been... And I think we find out later in the book, it was secret passages, right? It was the one, one of the ones that Filch doesn't know about. And it's one of the ones that Harry learns about because of the Marauder's map, right? Right. I think
3: it's the, I think it might be the one-eyed witch um, statue. Not, not a hundred percent sure on that uh, until we read it, but, but yeah, it it is ultimately the secret passages also serious at one point. I don't know if it's there yet, but he does have Crookshanks helping, um, he sort of befriends Crookshanks in his animagus form, and Crookshanks is able to help maybe push the knot on the Wombing Willow or mm-hmm. some other thing that allows them to go back and forth between Hogwarts.
2: Yeah, and you know it's funny you mentioned that because I was wondering at this point could Cr- Crookshanks have been involved, and I was wondering how Sirius formed a connection with him at this point. And I don't think we necessarily see evidence of that, but it is noted later in the chapter that Crookshanks is actively trying to sneak into the boys' dormitory to get scabbers. Yep. So it's and possible that they've already connected.
3: Harry's like, no Crookshanks. There are other tons of other mice in the castle. <laughs> don't don't go after that one. And he like picks them up, which off should be the
1: another stairs. huge flag for us as readers, mm-hmm. right? The fact that Harry's calling out. By the way, Crookshanks, there are plenty of other uh, mice for you to feast on. <laughs> Leave Scabbers alone, please.
3: Yeah, you know this connects back to the previous book because now that the basilisk is gone, there's nobody there to eat all the mice in the castle. The uh, other, the other mice, you know, all the skeletons that, that must that be it Harry found. So there actually but are other mice in the castle
1: now with Sirius, and I think we learn about it a little bit. Later on in this book, in terms of how he was able to get past the Azkaban guards initially, and I would assume if it worked once, it clearly worked a second time to get into Hogwarts. Is it that, in particularly in Azkaban, the Dementors are feasting on so many souls of the humans who are imprisoned there that they didn't notice a dog slipping through the cracks to escape? And so It's not the same situation at Hogwarts, but I wonder just with being so much human presence, whether it's Hogsmeade, whether it's Hogwarts, that they're just not attuned to animals who seem to be running around. Because Sirius can't be the only animal that is running past the Dementors. No, Crookshanks.
2: But (laughs) (laughs) I would think they would detect a human soul, though. There has to be Mm. a differentiation. When you're in your Animagus form, you're still yourself.
0: True. Yeah, well, that was going to be my next question. Does your yeah. human soul kind of become concealed when you're in Animagus? Well,
3: I think what it is specifically is that Sirius realized uh a few years into his Azkaban's day that he could still transform. And he utilized that because... He, it appears as lesser of a soul. It appears as a little bit less like it, it equates to the Dementors, the idea that he's losing it, that he's basically dying.
1: It's like a happy meal instead of a feast is what you're saying. <laughs> uh,
3: exactly. And so they just assumed that he would, that their work was being done well, Um, that his life force was draining, but for him, he was able to maintain a clear head and escape through the bars. So It's kind of the same thing that we see with Barty Crouch Jr. and his mother. Um, The only other time we have like a good example of, well, how good are the Dementors at determining who's coming in and who's going? I think they can just sense the energy levels or energy signatures and kind of how strong it is and that Sirius's dog form has less of that. And so they assumed that it was fine, but they couldn't actually see him as a human or a dog. And I think that's why he was able to escape.
2: That's interesting. Well, on the Dementors, we learn um, upon the professor's return, they find no sign of Sirius in the castle. It's like 3 a.m. by the time Dumbledore and everyone else gets back. um, We learn that the Dementors wanted to help in the search for Sirius inside the castle, but Dumbledore refused. And this is where we get, I think, an early toxic Percy example. He asks why why wouldn't you let the Dementors help search the castle for Sirius? And Dumbledore very quickly shoots that down, saying, the Dementors will not cross the thresholds of this castle so long as I am headmaster. And Percy is slightly abashed by this. Yeah. yeah it's, really, it's dude? Just, it's
1: <laughs> the first Percy ministry hard-on that we get in the series. Yeah. <laughs> There's more to come, and it ties well into Order of the Phoenix.
3: Do we have a sound effect for that? A counter for the Percy Ministry hard-ons? <laughs>
2: oh, I thought it was going Should a, be like a boing. Yeah, yeah. Please, we can find sound effect and play it with no context anytime Percy does something like this.
0: There we go.
1: There
2: it is. There it is.
0: So my sound effect uh app now lets you search for ones you don't have on the fly so now i'm unstoppable so if somebody just calls out a noise they want i can just type it in and find something <laughs> well
1: speaking of percy and the ministry i'm curious why isn't the ministry called in here this is now twice as we were just talking about that sirius has gotten past the dementors so they're clearly not very good at their jobs time to dismiss them from hogwarts And maybe they should have an alternative, like Aurors, like actual human beings who can face down Sirius one-on-one. So I I am quite surprised that there's no ministry action that's taken here, especially knowing how high demand of a criminal Sirius is. Maybe we don't see it. Maybe this is kind of an off-screen moment where Fudge and the auras show up, but it seems like a mistake.
3: Yeah, I really wonder if Aurors were invented yet by the author. You got to think wizard cops is one of the first things you create when you create another society, but they're just not here. They're not mentioned in every other threat, every other es- existential threat or otherwise that Hogwarts faces. There's Aurors, right? Tonks is all around the place in book six um, in in Hogwarts and standing guard. And maybe that's a direct response to the Dementors kind of not working as well this year but it just makes sense that there would be aurors stationed here especially because the ministry has an active interest in the benefit of the educational system uh for its young witches and wizards they should put every
1: aura here yeah unless it really, they're guarding azkaban
2: <laughs> yeah like who's maybe that's azkaban? what it is i was wondering is there something else going on in the background that's occupying the aurors right now and makes them unavailable for this and I guess a good answer could be, well, somebody has to guard Azkaban. But if that's well, the case, why not just leave the Dementors there and bring the Aurors to Hogwarts? I
3: never got the impression all of the Dementors are here. I think maybe some. Um, although in this chapter, doesn't it say like hundreds? Yeah, there's the, a uh, lot of them. So, okay, that's really interesting then. But if the uh, Dementors left Azkaban, it would be Christmas for every, every inmate. Because you would no longer be in that diminished state. Like even, yeah, sure, the orders are there. Maybe the prisoners won't want to like break out. But I mean, imagine just being alone with your thoughts and what a relief that would be following Dementors, like being on you every day, feeding off. I really gear. like what
1: you said, though, Eric, in that perhaps J.K. Rowling hadn't yet invented Aurors as an actual thing, because we don't really see Aurors mentioned until Goblet of Fire with mad eye it's a big deal yeah we can check that but i don't think we get a mention of
2: yeah that's a good call out i think there's also uh, just when we're thinking about azkaban dementors and uh breakouts happening from azkaban there is a great connecting the threads moment there between prisoner of azkaban and order of the phoenix where you know Sirius's cousin, Bellatrix, and others break out of Azkaban, which really does raise the question, how effective are the Dementors at their job, even?
0: Yeah. And just circling back to what Micah said really quick, I'm looking at the wiki page for Auror, and there's 44 references that the article uses, but not one of them is for anything earlier than Goblet of Fire. So that's what I'm saying.
2: Confirmed. Canon! it's cannon. <laughs> it's cannon it's canon. <laughs> i declare cannon <laughs> i love that so much it's so good well after the events of this night uh, a replacement is found for the fat lady while her portrait is being restored and it is none other than sir cadagan have we agreed on a way to pronounce this guy's name? Because I feel oh. like I hear a million <laughs> different pronunciations. There's a lot
1: of I uh, see, I actually I work with somebody <laughs> whose last name is Cadogan. So that's how I pronounce it. Okay.
3: Oh. Is it Irish? Uh not Could entirely be. sure. <laughs> that might make um, most sense. Yeah, I don't know. I I always reading it just said Cadigan. That's but, what I
2: said as a kid when I was reading this. So that's Sir what's Catwin. always in my head. Yeah, <laughs> but
3: I think a lot of official audiobooks and things say Cadogan.
2: Kadogan. Okay, we're gonna go with Sir Cadogan. Um, name pronunciation aside, nobody is really happy about this substitute for the Gryffindor Tower portrait. Um, multiple of the students remark that he's insane. He's mad.
3: Yeah, he, he changes the password twice a day. And this is the point where your system is no longer a system that works. Um, they, they should have imposed some limits. I mean, Dumbledore or teachers, it, literally anybody could have followed up with this guy and been like, OK, you're replacing the fat lady, but don't go overboard. And he instead goes overboard because you can't even communicate to the Gryffindor student body what the new password is before he changes it. And that that doesn't actually make it more secure. That makes things just insanely more complicated and less efficient.
1: Well, we got a little bit of an introduction to him a couple of chapters ago, right? When he was leading Harry and Ron to, was it divination? Yeah. Because they couldn't find the entrance to the class. So it was a nice setup earlier on in the book. And now we see him come through and he's he does have an important job. I like how thorough he is, though. I like the fact that he changes the password as much as he does because he has a job to protect the students.
3: Uh, well, if it were like the DA coins where a new password com- could come out and you get a text message and it vibrates and then you read the new information or whatever, be like, OK, the new password is this. That would be one thing. The magic exists. But because this is all word of mouth, also think about how many students now have to whisper to each other. They could be overheard. What? That's the, new the most ridiculous
0: is. part to me. Yeah, yeah, right. Being (laughs) overheard. It's more chances to be overheard. Mm -hmm. Yes. Security nightmare. A mild example, but security nightmare. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Mild security nightmare. Can you make a sound effect for that? That's like security nightmare (laughs) starting to sound like
0: or like security nightmare, I guess.
4: (laughs) It's
1: mid. Are we effectively blaming uh, Sir Cadigan for yes. Neville having to write down the passwords and then
4: yeah. losing yeah. it
1: and Sirius. So it's really his fault that Sirius inevitably gets into Gryffindor Tower.
3: Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think I think we're meant to draw that, that connection of like, okay, so Neville and McGonagall eventually is very upset with him and treats him very poorly, but he would not have needed to write down the whole list of passwords if it weren't such a dire situation that Sir... Cadogan now I'm even thinking twice before saying it uh is is creating this is Cadogan's fault
2: Well Eric I think you also had a note here around Sirius's interaction with the fat lady before we move on
3: I'm so interested in this question um of what that conversation was like um Dumbledore like when he comes back into the great hall and they say what happened it's Sirius Black didn't have the password. And so the fat lady didn't let him in. But I'm wondering, is this the only reason that the fat lady didn't let him into Gryffindor tower? Do portraits not sort of recognize Would the fat lady, not have been like, you're serious black. I'm going to GTFO and go tell Dumbledore that you're in front of me right now. If he had had the password, would she have let him in? And was there any conversation of like, hello again, fat lady. Uh, Do you remember me? I made Gryffindor, please let me in. And then she's like, oh, password. Hello, young Mr. Black.
0: Yeah, because what if he played it cool and had the password? Would he be let (sighs) in? That's a good question.
2: I I mean, it happens with Sir... Kadogan. Kadogan, right. <laughs> oh yes. In fact, he
3: did have he did have the passwords then at that
0: point. So Cadogan's like, yeah. It's sort but of the like f-
2: what, when you're yeah. an
0: alumni at a school, right? You go back to visit your old high school. Oh, I remember you. Yeah, I know security procedures are different these days, unfortunately, because of the state of the world. But there was a time when an alumni could just walk into their old high school. And be let in so long as they're still friendly and <laughs> recognized.
3: Fun fact. I was voted in my grade the most likely to return to my high school after graduating. I don't really? know. Did and you? And did you? Uh, once or twice for I helped out with the next fall play. but uh, But yeah,
0: it was kind of weird.
2: Prophecy fulfilled.
0: Prophecy fulfilled. You know what I was voted in my high school? Yeah, what? Most likely to be famous.
2: <laughs> and here
0: you are. You're doing it. You're making it happen. Because everybody. Well, because everybody knew I was doing the podcast by that time. So they were like, oh, oh, that Andrew going places with his Harry Potter podcast. I wouldn't describe myself as famous, but certainly. Uh, right. More popular than others. Sorry. Guys. But
3: I do think there would be some genuine recognition between Sirius and the fat lady just getting back to that because she knew him 30 years ago and probably nobody went in and out of the Gryffindor Tower more often than the Marauders um, during their seven-year stay. So she would have known him quite well. So it's interesting that in the recap, in the summary that we get, Dumbledore specifically says that it was he did have the password when, in fact, it could have just been that he's a mass murderer and the fat lady recognized him.
2: Yeah. And we know that the portraits have an awareness of current affairs going on outside of Hogwarts. We see this all throughout the series. So I think it's safe to assume that the fat lady would know.
1: Yeah, I I would like to think that she stood her ground Regardless, even if Sirius did have the correct password, that she would not let him into Gryffindor Tower knowing who he is.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm and trying to,
1: I'm, you know, justice for the fat lady here. Come on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a really violent
3: act that Sirius slashes up the canvas. Yeah, are um, we to
1: assume he turned back into dog form and slashed up the portrait?
3: Oh, with his claws instead of like a knife? Yeah. Doesn't he brandish hmm. a knife uh, when he does get in standing over Harry. Yeah, I think yeah, so. so he probably has the same knife. Um, yeah.
1: well, because otherwise, I guess the fat lady could have revealed that he was an animagus,
3: right? And also, mm-hmm. the slashes on her canvas would be like very obvious dog scratches. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes,
1: good call, good call,
3: but yeah, um, I, you know, it's I don't think Sirius at that point like thought that that would get him into the, the Gryffindor Tower by slashing up her canvas, so that does show that at this point he is still a bit unhinged. He is still very desperate. Um, Obviously we're meant to read like madman and loss of total control, which like isn't far from the truth um, in this case, because that is a senseless act against a kind portrait who did not deserve uh, your attack.
2: Well, Harry and his peers might need to look to better help after this defense against the dark arts class that they're about to attend Harry receives a rude surprise in the form of Professor Snape teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts unexpectedly because Professor Lupin is apparently sick. And Snape, of course, here, totally in character, he proceeds with his usual lack of regard and professionalism and seems to randomly assign the class to focus on werewolves for the day's lesson. And to the class, this is another great misdirect this book does, it seems like Snape is purposefully setting them up for failure by expecting them to know something more advanced than their current progress through the class. But we ultimately know that Snape is doing this to be petty towards Lupin, and he's likely emboldened by his suspicion that Lupin let Sirius into the castle. Previously in the chapter, we saw Snape Allude to this to Dumbledore during their discussions in the Great Hall.
3: This is very nuanced and very awesome. It's multi layered of what's really going on on the surface. Yep, Snape's an awful teacher, wants to fail everybody in the class, give them a really hard assignment. I'm shocked to learn that page 394 is canon. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, just oh. always
3: assumed that's a movieism, you know? But
0: 394. No.
1: That's the most iconic Snape moment or Alan Rickman moment, I think, of of any moment yeah. probably in the series, you could argue. Oh, even was trailer like the moment. Oh. It better be in the TV show. So so here's a really simple question. Why couldn't they have just canceled class if Lupin was sick? I bet it's an all-week thing. Uh, yeah. We only get one experience, though. One is enough, yeah. honestly.
0: <laughs> it does make me sick, seeing how... Snape is teaching them about werewolves to try and push them towards thinking that Lupin might be a werewolf.
1: What I really dislike about all of this is that it's a continuation of Snape being able to have a level of control over Lupin. We see it in the previous chapter with the Wolfsbane potion. Really, Lupin is at the beck and call of Snape and his ability to brew this potion for him. And now, because he's fallen sick, Snape is able to step in, and we know that he wants the d a d a post that's been stated already in this series, but he's also taking it over for somebody who he really does not like and so as somebody who Lupin is my favorite character to see this happen to him it it hurts like it hurts to read this chapter to see not only what he's doing to the students, but really what he's doing to Lupin deep down.
2: Yeah. He's trying to out him. That's what's happening here. He's using Lupin's we can call it Lupin's time of the month. He's using that to his advantage to try and out him for having what I mean, effectively amounts to a really serious chronic illness that, we've talked about this previously on the show, was intended to be representative for other stigmatized types of illnesses that exist in the muggle world, like HIV AIDS, right? And it works, by the way. Yeah.
3: Hermione says later, you know, oh, I knew pretty much right at the time that that Snape assigned the werewolf lesson and Hermione struggles with what to do with that knowledge, but it works. Snape 100% is responsible for Hermione figuring it out. And if the other student body weren't so preoccupied disliking Snape and probably not as a result retaining the information that they're reading, they too would see whatever the signs are that Lupin uh, is a werewolf. So Snape would get everything he ever wanted if his delivery was less offensive to people.
1: Totally. And Snape actually makes a direct reference to how third years should know how to spot a werewolf. He he basically just comes out and says it, but mm-hmm. to your point, nobody's paying that much attention. At least we don't think right. at that moment.
2: And he's, I mean, it is to Eric's point, it is multi layered because I, I mean, I'm not an expert in Hogwarts curriculum, but based on the fact that werewolves are on the curriculum, the students know this. They reference it. They reference that we're not supposed to do werewolves until much later. So it is in the curriculum. They just haven't gotten there yet. Snape is simultaneously trying to undermine Lupin as a teacher, sow seeds of doubt about his teaching capabilities among the students who like him so much and also trying to out him as a werewolf. It's really vicious. Mm -hmm.
4: Can we
3: blame Dumbledore for this? Um, Because just the night before uh snape is the one that like harry overhears but snape specifically says as we mentioned uh remember my theories on this professor that black could be having inside help and dumbledore's like yeah yeah whatever so like because dumbledore isn't seemingly willing to entertain snape's endless theories about lupin being in on it snape then responds negatively and does this
1: the next day yeah. yeah. And if it is the next day, wouldn't that preclude Lupin from being the one responsible for letting Sirius in? If he was quote unquote sick, he wouldn't be in a state to help Sirius break into Hogwarts. That's actually a great yeah. point.
2: I think Snape would, I think he would overlook that
1: convenience.
2: Snape has his mind made up here, right? Like he has already yeah. decided what he believes to be true. So, any evidence that he can find to support that he will grasp onto, and anything that sort of contradicts what he believes he's going to disregard
1: and Laura, to go off of something that you were talking about, I find it really cool though that the class is so adamant and it, in in terms of speaking up against Snape that is something that Lupin instilled in them in their first lesson together right yeah. in in the bogarts, and they're really not. They don't care. Like they're they're willing to go at it. Ron in particular goes after Snape in a way I don't think we've ever seen before, and I think that has to do with Ron's character. We know Ron is particularly nothing rattles him. Like we've seen him go after Draco, but to see him do it against Snape, I think a lot of that has to do with Lupin's teaching up until this point.
3: Yeah, he engenders all this loyalty and support just by being a good teacher, by making the students feel seen and heard. And uh, yeah, you get to see it kind of. It doesn't leave a dent on Snape, but they try. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I think the thing is Lupin treats them like adults. He yeah. treats them He treats them with a level of rapport that I don't think they've ever gotten from another teacher at Hogwarts, even the good ones. Mm. I think when you look at teachers like McGonagall, Flitwick, Sprout, they're all really good teachers. But their teaching style is a little more old school. It's a little more, you know teacher at the blackboard, not necessarily super um, applied teaching, not to say that they never get there. But Lupin starts off with an applied lesson right from the jump, which engages this class in a way that they've never seen before. It's a great moment watching them stick up for him against Snape. But on the point of Snape, I wanted to ask, Do we feel like Snape is more vicious in Prisoner of Azkaban than he is at any other point in the series? Because it's like, I feel like as we're rereading this, some of this stuff is really shocking when you start unpacking it, thinking about how he treated Neville how he led Neville to believe that he was going to poison his toad, how he's trying to out a colleague, how he's trying to set a colleague up for failure, how he's deliberately trying to set his students up for failure. And I think it all ties back to the Marauders connection and Lupin being a Marauder. I think that Snape is heavily triggered in this book by Lupin, being one of his colleagues, one of his peers at the school, teaching the subject that he himself wants to teach and knowing that Sirius Black is on the run.
0: It's a stressful combination of factors for him, for sure. I think I said a a couple episodes ago, I had forgotten how vicious Snape was. So as we continue to reread, I will be very curious to see if, to your point, he is never worse than he is here in Prisoner of Azkaban. I like the question because it implies he sort of mellows in later books, which absolutely
3: never could possibly happen. But it's just <laughs> that his outlet for is all over the place. Like he's everyone must suffer because mm-hmm. Snape is suffering in this. In this, Like even in book five, Snape, I would argue in book five is just as bad, but he focuses it completely on Sirius, on making Sirius feel alone, unwelcome baiting him at every chance what ends up leading to Sirius's death. So I don't know how I feel about whether Snape and, is at his worst here. And there's somebody but,
0: even worse at Hogwarts that year. So you're yeah. like, oh, wow. Okay. Maybe Snape isn't as bad as Umbridge. So <laughs> he almost looks yeah. better because of, of Umbridge being there. They're They're yeah, but I agree. Flavors. I mean, all throughout
3: this book, especially knowing at the end of the book where he's calling for Black to receive the kiss without due process... Uh, And he's on that vindictive kind of he just wants the Order of Merlin for himself. Yeah, Snape is probably the worst in this book. I think it's safe to say.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt that he continues to suck throughout the rest of the series. <laughs> um, but I think and maybe this is the point where he feels the most vulnerable because he's as he perceives it, two of his childhood tormentors are out and around one of them is a peer of his, he has to see every day. Whereas in Order of the Phoenix, he doesn't have to see Lupin every day. And Sirius is a prisoner in his own home. And he can kind of lord that over his head. So I think it just it's circumstantial for Snape at the end of the day.
1: I know we were talking about how Snape takes advantage of Lupin's situation, but I'm curious if there's somebody else who might be taking advantage of Lupin's situation. And as we were going through and and reading this chapter, the question popped into my mind, do we think Sirius knows Lupin is at Hogwarts by now? And if so, could he have used Lupin's time of the month to his advantage as well, knowing that his biggest obstacle in Lupin would have been out of commission? I love that. I
2: love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I think it's It's very plausible. Um, I mean, Sirius has been around enough, presumably, to figure out that Harry plays Quidditch. So I don't think it would be unreasonable to assume that he would figure out Lupin's there.
3: Yeah, how did Sirius find out that Harry plays Quidditch? Does Harry play Quidditch? He plays Uh, on Friday nights. He loves trivia nights.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of safe to assume that harry inherited the skills of his father right maybe crookshanks tells him yeah that too
1: (laughs) it all comes down to that damn cat
2: (laughs) the gryffindors are out practicing right madam hooch has to observe their practices for harry's safety but you know sirius could have been on the grounds and seen him there but you know uh, presumably lupin doesn't just stay inside the castle walls all the time he might have gone out and taken a leisurely stroll across the grounds and sirius might have been like what are you doing here
0: (laughs) well and to the point about knowing when lupin it's his time of his of the month he's uh, sirius can look up and see the moon the current cycle of the moon Mm -hmm. it's like there it is (laughs) yep all right it's time to go in
1: yeah because we know that uh they helped him through many a transformation, so they're very familiar with that condition for Lupin
0: right right, right. The other thing
1: that came to mind too was I was wondering if Lupin might be sick. We know about the werewolf condition, but because of the guilt of knowing that Sirius broke into the castle, uh, maybe he's majorly conflicted about telling Dumbledore the truth and still having strong feelings of friendship and brotherhood for for Sirius.
3: I know it is something that Lupin says he himself struggled with going to Dumbledore. Um, He felt that if he would even acknowledge that he had kept something from Dumbledore, Dumbledore would like fire him, which we know would never happen. But Lupin's really in his head this whole year, uh, struggling with revealing everything that he knows.
4: And
1: along those lines, this makes me think that the more we go through this book, the more I think Dumbledore intentionally brought Lupin to Hogwarts as the lone marauder, not to protect Lupin, but to draw Sirius out of hiding. I think that he has a double agenda,
2: Yeah, as he I often mean, does. That's certainly his MO, right? And it does make you wonder, did he have a suspicion all along that Sirius was actually innocent, or was did he still think Sirius was guilty and just want to assist in drawing him out? Which again puts Harry in a lot of danger, but you know, it's not the first time Dumbledore's done that.
1: Why does Dumbledore even care about that? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it would be classic Dumbledore bring the, the last remaining close friend of James and Lily to Hogwarts to protect Harry from the person who presumably murdered his parents. And then you have Lupin and Harry both at Hogwarts. It would be like, you know, a, 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 Something, a siren going off to attract Sirius to come to Hogwarts. So, I think there is definitely some intention there on the part of Dumbledore, since we can't seemingly give him any additional lies. It's been
0: <laughs> yeah, you over guys, a book uh, at this point. Name that segment poorly. I think you should have done like the Dumbledore suck count, maybe sort of like the Umbridge suck <laughs> count.
1: <laughs> well, we, I, I, in fairness, we haven't spent a lot of time with him yet.
0: Yeah. I know you keep saying that. I mean, my sound effect for that segment has left my soundboard. It 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 got so bored.
2: Don't worry, Andrew. When we get to the end of book five, uh, the I'm going to tell you everything Harry moment <laughs> is going to count for like 300 Dumbledore <laughs> lies.
0: I agree. And I can't wait for that.
2: Uh, well, to wrap this portion of the chapter, Snape assigns them homework on how to recognize and kill werewolves. Jeez. (laughs) Subtlety
0: gone. I know. Which is so strange because Snape is also helping Lupin with the Wolfsbane potion. And yet he's also teaching the students how to kill a werewolf.
3: Look, there's professional obligations. And then there's the free for all of when you're in charge of the students, you tell them whatever.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And Dumbledore instructed him to make the Wolfsbane potion for him. Yeah. 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 Okay. So.
2: Micah, you mentioned Ron's clapback moment at Snape earlier on, but Ron gets detention for this, and his detention is to wash out bedpans in the hospital wing without magic.
3: That's uh, archaic.
2: Yeah, it's horrific. You can only imagine. All I can think of is the scene from Game of Thrones where Sam was having to clean out all the chamber pots. Uh. That was the first thing that came to mind for me. But this is a health security nightmare. And also, (laughs) why would Madame Pomfrey allow this? Right.
3: That goes against (laughs) everything she stands for, I bet. Yeah. It's like
2: cleanliness. I feel like
3: (laughs) there has to be a higher power, too, that scrutinizes what other teachers assign kids for detentions. Like, no matter who you are or what you did, your head of house, specifically your head of house, should oversee the assignments for detention. And there's no way McGonagall would approve of this particular punishment. No, no. I mean,
2: I'm assuming she wouldn't approve of uh, the punishment Harry gets from Umbridge in book five either. So it kind of seems like professors don't have oversight of what's being done.
1: Right. I think along these lines, it is important to mention the fact of how Snape treats Hermione, because his treatment of her in particular in this chapter probably rivals his treatment of Neville in the previous chapters that we read and again, I wonder if some of it is is the bias factor right and her being muggle born Some of it is him seeing a bit of Lily, maybe even some of himself in in Hermione. it's just his. Treatment is awful, Like calling her an insufferable know-it-all in front of the entire class when she clearly has the answer. And Ron, that's what he gets detention for, for calling out Snape, Say, why are you asking the class a question if you don't want the answer?
2: Well, yeah, he doesn't really want the answer. He wants to lord it over all of them to make himself feel superior and also to sow those seeds of doubt amongst the students that- Maybe Professor Lupin isn't as good of a teacher as they think he is. I think he's also punishing her for helping Neville in potions class. Yeah, I think he's still punishing her.
3: I think none of this passes any sniff test. Like if another if if a single other teacher heard about what gave Ron detention, Snape was doing what? Snape was instructing you on what subject? Snape was asking questions and not in letting who answer the one person that knew the, like, none of this would be allowed if literally any other person had oversight here.
1: I I bet uh, Lupin is just disappointed he couldn't do his big reveal at the end of the semester and tell the class he's a werewolf. That That's what <laughs> oh. this was all leading up to.
2: Do you think he had that planned?
1: <laughs> uh Maybe, but he had the last class
2: scheduled to fall on the final full moon of the semester.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) And he stands at the edge of the Forbidden Forest and is like, peace. And then transforms and just
1: runs (laughs) off. But. I will say, I think the biggest reveal came in Snape's response to Ron. It's, it's kind of like one of those aha moments when you're, if you're in therapy and the therapist goes, Oh, there it is. It's when Snape says, don't ever question my teaching style. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what this is all about deep down for him at the end of the day.
2: Indeed. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about Quidditch because this Quidditch match is particularly consequential for this story. So. Gryffindor and Hufflepuff are attempting to play Quidditch through torrential downpour. And before we get more into that, I know, uh, Andrew and Micah, you had some opinions about the circumstances behind Gryffindor playing Hufflepuff and not Slytherin as was intentionally or originally intended.
1: First first babe, Andrew, sports bro, right?
0: I know. I'm kicking back into it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, gang. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so Oliver Wood, he tells the team in this chapter that they're going to be playing Hufflepuff at the upcoming match instead of Slytherin, as had been scheduled due to Draco's arm allegedly still being injured. Where? This did not sit right with me because. Here in the Muggle world, you don't swap teams when somebody on a team is injured. You just play without that player. That's how it should have been. So Draco gets to slip out of a match against Harry. The whole team gets to slip out of a match against Harry because Draco was faking the arm injury. That's not right. That shouldn't be allowed. No, and in,
3: in other years, they have reserve players that can step in. They have backup players. And there's there's no reason, realistically, that backup Quidditch players wouldn't currently be a thing on the current Slytherin Quidditch team. There absolutely would be, but it's the simpler time of the earlier Harry Potter books, so that kind of a concept just doesn't exist. But mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely, they would just pinch the the Seeker. Like you would just, you would just, you would just be on the bench, and somebody else would go. If anything, Harry should be making fun of Draco because they're at a school of magic. His arm has been healed since the night it first occurred, and he's still experiencing. Oh, I'm still sick. Oh. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, I mean, Draco is milking this. Harry even sees them walking to the Quidditch pitch on the day of the tournament, laughing at him, and it's just like, man, Draco sucks.
1: Right. Yeah. He really does. Yeah, it, it should be if it's really that big of an issue, they should postpone the Gryffindor-Slytherin match to a later time. They shouldn't make Gryffindor and Hufflepuff play each other primarily because they don't have enough time to prepare, right? That is even mentioned by Wood, I think, at one point in this chapter. And it's not fair to either team. We see it from the perspective of Gryffindor, but it's not fair to Hufflepuff either to have to play on short notice. And As has been stated, injuries are a part of sports. That's why you have a roster. That's why you have people who can step in. They may not be as good as the starters, but that's why you have a bench. And I think that this is not fair. This is clear favoritism for Draco. I'm sure Snape pulled a few strings here. And as Eric mentioned, we see it later on in the books where other people have to come in. And I think even Harry is unable to play it at, at some point might have to do because of umbrage and her detentions but um that doesn't allow gryffindor to be able to reschedule their match so i i do also have a lot of issues with this
0: yeah Yeah, bro right i mean it's so messed up
2: well what about the conditions they're playing in i mean these are oh boy really unsafe conditions i mean harry can harry can barely fly straight um because the wind is so intense it seems like Cedric Diggory has a slight advantage because he's just a bigger guy so he mm-hmm. can take it a little better than Harry can but Harry is being blown all over the place he keep he can barely see um because the rain is you know uh obstructing his view since he wears glasses Um, The wind is howling so loud that Harry can't even overhear the commentary, so he doesn't even know what's going on until Wood calls for a timeout at one point and finds out what the score is then. So it's just not great conditions for them to be playing in. No.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's tough to read. And there's even this line, Quidditch matches weren't called off for trifles like thunderstorms really not even (laughs) thunderstorms this is a major safety nightmare i mean that is ridiculous
1: and i know it's the 90s and we reference that a lot but present day sporting events are actually delayed due to lightning being in the area it doesn't even have to be Mm. at the actual arena or stadium it just is in the area and yeah this isn't a little drizzle it's it's pretty significant. And most of those sporting events end up being delayed until after the thunderstorms have passed the area for the safety, not just of the people playing, but of the fans in, in the stands too. And it's funny, like as I'm recording here, I got a alert on my phone, rain postpones Mets Guardians, Saturday's game to be made up Sunday as part of double header. So there you go. it shows you- Maybe the author just, um, you know, wanted to create a little bit of drama. No, this which... is
0: right in line with all the other nonsense happening at Hogwarts. You know, and what you it could sounds also like argue Andrew, a sound? security it's nightmare, a, yes, and a safety nightmare. It's to sound like a security nightmare? Security nightmare? You're playing it <laughs> my back. My computer
1: at 0.75 speed. That was like a mix of me and you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> my computer is sick right now. <laughs> Sound effects are canceled. Who is that? The (laughs) The hosts have changed. (laughs) I I was like, whoa,
2: Andrew, did something happen?
0: (laughs) You also have to keep in mind, these weather conditions are not good when there is a mass murderer on the loose on the grounds. You need to be able to have good visibility to keep an eye out for this guy.
3: Well, and, and what, what advantages are, is what disadvantage is Harriet anyway, due to having glasses, this thing that Hermione does when they call a timeout or she casts impervious on his glasses and the water just, whoosh, she like rain X's his glasses. Uh, why wasn't that standard practice? Rain X's. <laughs> yeah. You know, rain X, it causes the, yes, I know uh, it's a good reference. Yeah. Uh, you know, like why wasn't that standard practice or why? Cause. For somebody who's like glasses fog up at the mere hint of like inclement weather, um, it's a real disadvantage for Harry to have to wear glasses and be a seeker, somebody who has to see in the rain. I can't believe he's even up there without having done something to his glasses to begin with, because it just seems like an obvious impediment.
2: It definitely is. Well, uh, Hermione using impervious on Harry's glasses does ultimately help him see what's going on in the match a little better. But it is a double-edged sword because not long after this, Harry sees the shaggy black dog in the top row of empty seats in the stands watching him. I think this is pretty sad in retrospect, knowing what we're going to find out later in this book. I think that Sirius would have just been really excited to learn that Harry was playing Quidditch like his dad and he probably couldn't resist going to watch him play. It was probably like watching James playing again.
3: Even though Harry's performance during the first half is awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sirius is just being kind to Harry when he's yeah. <laughs> not his yeah, fault I, though. <laughs> I know. Not Harry's fault though. <laughs>
2: Um, but it it I think that this is an early representation of Sirius potentially projecting uh his you know grief oh, why you gotta for turn his this best friend onto Harry because he's doing that to go and and kind of relive his Hogwarts days for a moment with James. We see later on in book five, he mistakenly calls Harry James.
3: Ugh, is that a book hmm. thing? I just think that yeah, I'm uh, pretty
2: sure it is.
3: <laughs> at this point that we don't have enough info to ever say that Sirius really thinks he's seen James this time. I think he's just supporting his friend's kid in his endeavor. I think that you can gain a godfatherly appreciation for seeing your you know, friend's son play Quidditch like he used to without mixing up any of that book five canon nonsense.
2: No, I mean, mm-hmm. I I absolutely agree with you. I think that is his chief motivation. But I find it hard to believe that Sirius wouldn't for a moment be experiencing a lot of grief and nostalgia mixed together when he sees someone who is basically James's carbon copy flying yeah. around playing Quidditch, right?
3: Especially from a distance. Yeah. Um, um and it's Harry's certainly- right. Yeah.
1: It speaks to Sirius's recklessness, though, because it is his fault that the Dementors then show up and things play out the way they do.
2: I was going to ask y'all about that. That was what I was referring to earlier in the episode. Um, so shortly after Harry sees what he believes to be the Grim, he looks down and he feels the effects of the Dementors first, but then he looks down and quickly realizes that there are hundreds of them on the Quidditch field below him. He loses consciousness, hears a woman screaming, and falls 50 feet to the ground. Um, I completely forgot about this, but everyone thought Harry was dead for a minute. We see from the reactions of his friends in the hospital wing that they were all very concerned that he had died there momentarily because of that fall. But to Micah's point, I wanted to ask... Did the dementors come to the pitch specifically because Sirius was there? And if that's the case, by the transitive property, did Sirius almost kill Harry and cause Gryffindor to lose the match?
3: And could the dementors <laughs> could the dementors detect his life signature or soul signature or whatever? specifically, because the reason given in the very next chapter is just that they've been generically desperate for souls. So they something finally gave and they came to this gathering of all these people. They couldn't resist the Quidditch match. But it is telling that Sirius Black, the one they're looking for, is there or was present right before they burst in. So which is it? Do we blame Sirius attending the Quidditch match for the Dementors? Because I actually don't.
0: Well, and I've also always taken this. Seen this incident as a reminder that Dumbledore does not have control of the the Dementors, and that is a major problem for him and his relationship with the Ministry. For sure, because he didn't want them there.
1: But here's a real question. Oh, go ahead, Micah. Um, Were the Dementors wearing Hufflepuff scarves?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which team did they support? This This
4: we need to know. There's a social media opportunity. There really uh, is. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Chloe, that's a poll. Are the Dementors rooting for Gryffindor or Hufflepuff? (laughs) Vote now.
2: Something else that occurred to me was, is there potential here that maybe it's not a direct connection because of Sirius physically being there, but maybe Sirius's presence there threw Harry off and inspired enough fear in Harry in that moment that it made him even more susceptible to the Dementors. I think he would have been in trouble either way because of how many of them there were. But maybe if Harry hadn't seen the Black Dog in the stands, he would have had an opportunity to exit the Quidditch pitch when he realized the Dementors were there, but I think it's kind of this one-two punch of him seeing the Grim, this death omen that he thinks is following him, and then looking down and seeing all the Dementors.
1: Yeah, it. What what's kind of confused me a bit though about the Dementors is the, the proximity factor, right? Mm-hmm. Because when he experiences what he does on the train, the Dementor is very close to him. In this instance, we have to assume he's fairly high up in the air when he looks down. And I think the movie does a much better job of the Dementors attacking Harry midair, but that's not Mm -hmm. described at all in the book. So wouldn't the Dementors also have an effect on the people in the stands and the other members of Hufflepuff and Gryffindor? It just seems strange that Harry is the only one.
2: Yeah. And maybe they do
0: yeah it's just not documented,
2: yeah I think we're always led to believe that everybody feels the effects, but Harry just
0: more acutely, is,
2: yeah,
3: I think the 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 more of them there are together, the more magnified or amplified the effect is. That's how I've always justified Harry feeling it on his broom hundreds of feet up is like there are dozens, and so their effect just multiplies exponentially,
2: well, Harry wakes up in the hospital wing. Surrounded by his team, Ron and Hermione are there. They recount what happened to Harry after he lost consciousness. But ultimately, this chapter ends with Harry's realization that his Nimbus 2000 has gone to rest in the broomshed in the sky.
0: Oh. No. <laughs> But when uh, one door closes, rest in peace. another one opens, and it's going to be pieces. a better door. <laughs> rest in pieces. If <laughs> I was Harry, I'd hold on to those pieces. Yeah, and I'd try to fix it up, even if it's not usable anymore. I'd still save it. My Reparo. first broom.
2: Yeah, I mean they Reparo. have
0: Reparo. Reparo. <laughs> Brumo yeah, Reparo. You know,
1: I never. Uh, this was one of the things also that I just never got. Like the broom is. Is certainly not the Fort Anglia. It's it's the equivalent of a tree branch. Did the Womping Willow really go to town on a broomstick like that? I don't know.
0: Why not? It's a grumpy old tree. It's going to beat it up for fun. Uh,
4: the
3: Womping Willow needs to practice uh, some Zen meditation or something. Like, don't get so angry just because you know a broom flies into you.
0: Yeah, I mean, trees are supposed to be like. Kind of like a symbol of peace in a way, right? Yeah. Growth.
1: Well, that's and- Dumbledore's fault too, by the way, because he put <laughs> the Whomping Willow
0: there
2: <laughs> for Remus. Oh, wasn't my best idea. We know he was
3: doing a good thing. He was doing a good I thing. I had when he good did that.
0: intentions. <laughs> uh, who
1: cares if it kills the other students that get too close? <laughs> right. This one will be safe once a month. I'm protecting Lupin.
2: Well, we have a couple of quick odds and ends here. Micah, do you want to kick these off?
1: Yeah, sure. So we talked about the voice that Harry hears when he's being attacked by the Dementors, but we actually get more insight into that whole situation. When it first happens on the train, it's just mentioned that he hears a voice, but we actually hear Lily. He He's not sure still who this is, but we know it's Lily talking about not allowing Voldemort to attack Harry so it's clear for us now as readers that he's reliving the moment when Voldemort came into Godric's Hollow and killed his mother. And clearly, Voldemort gave Lily an option to stand aside and she chose not to. That was That's another important piece. Request, yeah.
3: It's unbelievable that we're getting the information without knowing that we're getting the information. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah, like yeah. Snape, Snape asking Voldemort to spare Lily literally happened,
1: and here it is in Book Three,
3: mm-hmm. like being shown to happen.
1: And then another blink and you'll miss it moment, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> Hermione's bloodshot eyes uh, are referenced when they are in the hospital wing, and we know that is due to the fact that she has been time turning.
3: Yeah, Yeah. I did blink and I did miss that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think I did too.
2: And what I love about this is it's another really clever misdirect because we see this or we hear about this in the same breath as Harry hearing that everyone thought he was dead. So I think we're led to believe that Hermione was crying really hard because she thought Harry was dead. And I'm sure she was. That seems very in Mm. character for her but it's also more likely that this is her current state because of all the time turning.
3: Yeah. I like that a lot. There was another reference to somebody doing something without magic, not just Ron having to clean the bedpans in the hospital wing, but um Filch is in charge basically like Dumbledore says, "Oh, I'll get Filch to restore the Fat Lady's painting." But actually art restoration is a really complicated process. Um, and we know that Filch can't use magic. So the fact that art restoration normally is extremely complex, difficult, uh, and then the idea that these portraits are magical, there's probably some element that Filch cannot repair of like restoring the magic to the canvas. I don't know. It's just insane that that's not a job they would outsource to maybe somebody who professionally works on canvases or paintings. Like art restoration is not easy. Um, Maybe Filch is good at it,
2: but if if he's good at this, why is he a janitor? <laughs> yeah,
3: that's fair. Yeah, well, there's well, so many portraits at Hogwarts. He could be the full time art restorer of of Hogwarts. Uh, you know,
1: for well, can I can I actually expand off of that for a second because it made me think of when Filch has to go search the dungeons for Sirius. What is Filch going to do if he comes across Sirius Black? He is in no way positioned to. Take care of him. Right.
3: Yeah. Dumbledore is just putting Filch at risk and causing Filch to do all these awful things
0: that he has no. Like, no wonder Filch is angry all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that, it's time for MVP of the week. I'm going to give it to Hermione. Looking back at Eric's Rain X comments, her impervious spell <gasps> to clear rain from Harry's glasses during the match was excellent. I applaud that greatly. I'm going to give it to the sleeping
3: bags that Dumbledore conjures. Don't know where they were stored, where they came from before, but
1: a uh, hundred purple sleeping bags just on he, command. He stole off. them from all the house elves below.
0: <laughs> I found that oh. room. I found the sleeping bag room in Hogwarts Legacy actually, and Mike is right; it was right oh. off yeah. the the kitchen. So, some of these bags still have the elves in them. <laughs>
2: oh. Tickle, tickle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give mine to Cedric Diggory for being a good sport. This is our first introduction to him as a character, and Hufflepuff ultimately wins this match because Cedric catches the snitch. But when Cedric realizes shortly after he catches it that Harry had lost consciousness and fallen off his broom, Cedric was asking for a rematch because he didn't feel like it was fair. Even though Hufflepuff really did win fair and square here, this so
3: is the moment. He's this such is a moment. good guy would that guy ever be a death eater no <laughs> no no amount of humiliation could make this person who is pure of heart so much so that the triwizard cup picks him could this guy could never
1: be a death And just eater. for people listening that is a cursed child reference
3: well it's right? an awful thing that happens
0: supposedly in cursed child awful and you gotta give him MVP now while you still can am I right am I right, am I right?
1: Yeah. well maybe he should have stopped being a good sport before Goblet of Fire because that kind of came back to bite him
2: yeah um, it really did and this is a precursor to that right because at the end of Goblet of Fire Cedric tells Harry to take the trophy because he feels that Harry mm-hmm. is really the, the rightful winner and, and Harry's a good sport there too uh, yeah. which ends up being unfortunate for Cedric
1: well speaking of good sports i'm gonna double mvp to fred and george i just really like the way they treated harry when he was in the hospital wing like a brother in many ways and were just they were talking him up you know he was in a bad state of mind and they're like look it had to happen eventually we lose the match you're still the best seeker we've ever had and i just thought it was really great endearing moment for fred and george with
0: harry if you have any feedback about today's episode or the chapters ahead, you can send an owl to mugglecast gmail.com, or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also send a voice message. Just record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Or you can use our phone number, which is 19203-Muggle. That's 1920-368-4453. And now it's time for some quizage. Quizzage.
3: Last week's question, what does Hannah Abbott tell the students that Sirius Black can transform into? For some reason, she's of the mindset that he can become a flowering shrub. Really love to know more about that.
1: That's a herbology reference though, isn't it? Like it's a Hufflepuff sprout, Hannah herbology tie, right? It's all the same
3: thing. Yeah. I think I think that's probably exactly what it is. Don't know why though. But anyway, it uh, speaks to just the stories we tell when we're when people will listen. The cr- correct answers were submitted by the mighty, mighty Crookshanks, squib Accountant, a distant relative of Runel Wazlib, slithering into a burrow never to be seen again because it's cold and I have too much schoolwork and Muggle and cups of tea keeps me going. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. what does the fox say? <laughs> Hannah, Hannah Longbottom, Hannah is right, actually, Buff Daddy. Bagels for Buckbeak, Ace of Peaches, and a squashy purple sleeping bag that somehow looks a little too much like a hydrangea.
4: Hmm. Okay. okay.
3: I'm speechless. <laughs> Me too. Here's next week's question. In what school year of theirs did the Weasley twins obtain the Marauder's Map? very exciting chapter coming up next time. Submit your answer to us on the Quidditch Quizitch website, mugglecast.com slash Quizzitch, or click on Quizzitch from the main nav on our homepage.
0: There will be a new bonus MuggleCast available this week, exclusively for patrons who pledge at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We're going to talk about some news regarding the next Wizarding World Park coming to Universal Orlando. There were details recently revealed about what type of live stage show they'll be putting on in the new land. I found it pretty interesting. And last week, Disney World announced their already shutting down their highly immersive Star Wars hotel. It had only opened in March 2022. Brand new building, lots of hype. They're already closing it. And the reason I want to talk about this is there's been rumors of a similar highly immersive Hogwarts hotel maybe one day coming to Universal. That seems like a great idea. A lot of Harry Potter fans would 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 be interested in that. But in light of this news what is really a massive failure for Disney World? What does that mean potentially for a Hogwarts hotel? So we'll talk about all of that in Bonus muggle, bonus MuggleCast this week. We're doing two of these a month now for our patrons. And there's many more benefits available as well. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We can only do this show because of support from listeners like you. So thank you, everybody who supports us. We deeply appreciate it. Yep. And speaking
1: of hotels, uh, Eric and I will be at LeakyCon 2023 in Chicago this summer from August 4th through the 6th. Listeners who are interested in registering for the con can visit leakycon.com and enter code Muggle during checkout for a 10% discount. Right now, we're still finalizing our panel sessions, so more information to come. But we will be hosting a MuggleCast meetup. Uh, for anyone in the Chicago area that weekend. Uh, So definitely come say hi. And again, more details uh, to follow there as well.
0: Okay. And just a reminder that next week we will be off for Memorial Day. We're not going to do a traditional episode. However, we will have that Muggle mini cast that Micah mentioned at the top of today's episode, all about the new Harry Potter exhibition now open in New York City. And then we'll be back the week following with the next chapter in Prisoner of Azkaban. One more reminder before we wrap up, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, After today's episode recording, we're actually doing a little birthday celebration for me. And while that will be happening live, you can watch it. It's not like one
1: of us could have announced that for you.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm just rolling through to the end of the episode here. Um, What was I saying before I was rudely interrupted by Micah? Um, Oh, you can (laughs) watch that after the fact, even though we're recording it live today. It will be available for you to watch. And uh, we did one for Eric last month, and that's also available. Anyway, lots of fun happening on our social media channels. So make sure you follow us on all of them. Chloe is doing a great job. So that concludes this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura. Bye, everybody. Bye.
0: Bye.